0: This is State of demand Gen. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. This consulting session pillar has become a fan favorite, getting tons of great feedback about these real-life calls, going through real-life questions with software companies about what to do across all of their brand and demand programs. And so we're about to get into this one. We covered a lot that has to do with an organic modern content strategy that involves a live event. And so we use the live event on a weekly basis as a method to create the content and and basically force consistency. And then how that flows all the way through into distribution, measurement and attribution, and some of the new topics that I'm thinking. And so there are a lot of what I would call FAQs for software marketers in here. I hope you enjoy it and we're going to get into it right now.
1: Chris you know like as you know I'm an avid consumer of your of your content and religious disciple and we you know have taken an equity position in click to reverse engineering a lot of the stuff that you do on the outside right so the live internet talk show format that drives content creation age engine by repurposing and redistributing across tactical distribution channels And also very customer centric. How do we solve problems for the customer on the content channel? And that's what we do, right? So we're reverse engineering that piece to drive community, drive that dark funnel interaction and all those intangible things that um, we've already kind of like been doing and you have put amazing language to. And uh, Dotan, to his credit as a visionary CEO, has completely bought into the strategy, right? So got him on this call they're pretty early stage, already have some market fit and are pivoting into another market. Dotan can tell you more about that stuff. But basically, I assume that it would be good content for you to just take like the stuff that you're showing people that are executing and then reverse engineering on how you would add that secret sauce. And I'll kind of shut up from there and let Dotan take over.
0: Awesome.
2: All right. I'll just, um, you know, I'd love to tell you more a little bit about what Click2 is. First of all, I'm Dotan, I'm joining you You all in the States. I'm actually in Tel Aviv in Israel. Mm-hmm. So it's 4.34 in the afternoon. Um, Isar is here as well, usually he's in the States, but he's now here. And um, and Click2, as, as Pablo introduced us, we are pretty early stage. We are like a, a year, one-year-old company uh, in the education, in the online education sphere, a galaxy, I would say. Um, Our product is uh, built to serve the fourth wave of online education, where all the three waves are mostly around massive uh, courses, pre-recorded, self-paced, independent learning that get to about 3% completion. And we are building the platform for the fourth wave of cohort-based Live video, uh, online courses. Uh, Our initial target market are actually, uh, you know, providers that create courses for kids, enrichment programs, after-school programs for kids. But also, later on, for um, any part of this industry for adults, citizens, and basically, we call it lifelong learners. Our platform is, um, you know, it allows both uh, create. people of the creator's economy, those who have some sort of expertise to jump in, but also legacy schools or enrichment providers that just need that door to open up their content and teachers and brand online and serve, you know, the millions of people that are out there that are were never part of their industry or their, uh, their uh, audience. So this is what Click2 is. Uh, it's a SaaS platform. And um, you know it, it allows building the courses, selling the courses, monitoring them, monetizing them, um, and growing from teacher to business to
0: campus. It's all about growth wherever you start. Is it product-led? Is that the main go-to-market motion? Can you allow... Like, Meaning, like, can someone go in there, self-serve, get into the platform and start going? Or is this an enterprise sales motion? So it's a good question. Um, you know, uh, we hope because we were still
2: we're still small and early stage, so we're still building it and we're figuring it out as we go. So today we prefer scheduling a demo with a with a customer and creating their account for them and helping them with our customer success team to kind of build their program. Uh, mm-hmm. But we do see that evolving into a self serve, you know, automated process.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, so you mentioned a couple of different markets. Where are you getting the most traction right now in terms of an I- ideal customer?
2: So we are, you know, we are really at the beginning. Uh, we are hoping to to work with organizations in the K to twelve enrichment space, after school programs, and um, any provider, mm-hmm. you know, that does. After traditional education, arts—not traditional education. Everything that's out of school, actually. Yeah. Um, this is our also. This is our initial audience that uh, Josh brings uh, with him, with his network and list, and Becca and myself. Um, so this is, you know, our initial audience, and we also really understand them because our background stories are all coming from that those angles. Mm-hmm. Hey, Chris, so what- their
1: market fit, hit when the pandemic hit. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dotan and Josh, right? But when the pandemic hit, they were able to quickly pivot a bunch of summer camps into the into the software. So that's the first like wave of success cases, mm-hmm. and then now mm-hmm. it's these 24, you know, these year round enrichment programs around schools um, that that they're going after. That's their vertical.
0: Got it. Cool. So what specifically should we tackle today?
2: Appreciate the so. Background. You know, we are entering this uh, this amazing journey with uh, Pablo Isar and Gina and starting to form this live weekly show uh, where we're bringing guests from the industry and experts. And every week uh, it's a different topic. And um, what Isar and Pablo and Gina are going to produce for us is from each of those episodes, they're going to produce for us a whole Bucket of uh, content pieces to go to be distributed in all social medias and everywhere and podcasts and everything. And we have a few, you know, we understand that this is great. um, But I think what we would love to learn from you, first, as somebody who um, create your own content, uh, and a lot of content, is how should we Measure or which metrics or parameters should we look at uh, to know that we have the right content that we really that which content really works for us? Um, I mean, you 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 create a lot of different types of content, and how did you find out which content works, which doesn't which content doesn't work to bring the right audience to create the right community around your services?
0: This is an interesting and complex question. So I'll I'll just start breaking it down here. So the first thing that I do is try and have the audience or my target participate in the content creation. So I'm always listening. I'm communicating. I can see whether heads are nodding or whether people are tuning out. I can see what questions get asked. And so when it comes to the actual event, the best way to score it, in my view, is repeat attendance. How many people come back a second time to go and see? It's a really... I don't think a lot of companies even think about that metric. And it's like, we're putting on the event so people come and enjoy it. How, How do we create an event that's so good that people will take time out of their day on a recurring basis to show up? Because it's not about the content that's recorded afterwards. It's about what happens at the event that is valuable enough to do it. And so in our event, the reason that people show up is one, the content's good. Two, they can ask five questions and basically get free consulting from me. Um, But additionally, there's a group like, a pretty large group of people that come every week that have known each other that have gotten other jobs that do networking. So we provide all of those things at the same time, which creates more and more value. And then over time, it's our job to to see, listen to the audience and say, what else can we add into this event so that people find it more and more valuable over time. And so repeat attendance, I think is a, is a really good one. The second piece is when you make it into um, micro content to distribute is where you get a majority of feedback, and so when I'm when I'm writing posts, it's not about I want to write this post so that I can you know so it can hit and I can get a bunch of leads. It's for me a, a lot about testing messaging, and so for something that's there's core principles that I know that message resonates with the market because I've been talking about for them about them for a long time. But when I have a new concept, I'm going in there to to know whether or not it works not whether or not whether or not the message resonates not whether or not it drives results initially and so I'll go in the copy that I write along with the video and then collect feedback in the comments to give me a ton of insights about uh, like people didn't understand what I meant there or I need to say this a different way or maybe people just don't agree with the th- the opinion that I have here and there's some opinions that I have that are sort of like out of left field that I test with not fully formed ideas for that reason to get feedback of, Hey, should I just cut this or should I keep moving and seeing if I should learn more about it? And so I'm sure that there's a follow-up on that one, but those are a couple of the ways that I think. about it.
3: Chris, quick uh, follow-up on that. Do you phrase it as a question or do you
0: just state it and see if people resonate with it and respond to it? Most often I'm phrasing it as, as statements.
1: Question, Chris. So we, you know, we, we've done this play before and we, and we find the qualitative data on like people coming back It's sweet, and, you know, like people commenting on, on LinkedIn posts. How, how are you, do you guys, you have an automation that puts that into a spreadsheet and then you look at it qualitatively. Are you manually kind of just like going through the zoom attendee list and putting it into a spreadsheet that you put together to see who's coming back every week? Um, I would love to hear about that infrastructure.
0: I I mean, we don't, we don't measure this at the level that you're asking. Like I just show up there and I see all of the same people, all of the yeah, same people, I and I know their names, and I know. So, like, that's the I. We don't calculate that quantitatively, but that's the qualitative sense that we get on the events. First, I was
4: wondering as you began to answer that complex question that Dotan is really good at asking those questions. Whether this was chicken or the egg, so we're going back to like a very, very complex question, um, and I think you answered that. Chicken and the egg, and I think with what we're trying to do, what we're struggling with, what what, what I'm a little frustrated with, I've been very clear with Jotan and Becca about. You know, is is we? You know, Jotan just used something of the fourth wave. That I'm writing that down. Like, got to use fourth wave. That's good. Okay, so we're trying to, as Isar said, convince the unconvinced. You know, they're struggling. Uh, they they are online enrichment teachers. They are have been, they're thinking about going back to in-person, but there's this world out there that frankly, a lot of Americans don't think about that want this U S based education when it comes to enrichment. So I guess my, my takeaway from what you said is Dotan, Becca is if we can start building this cohort of people who get it. So it's not just to show where we're talking at people, you know, but they're kind of talking back to us. I don't know if it's possible, you know, they're talking with us, but then we start building this group that gets it. And then you get that second layer. People are like, oh, I'm going to try that, you know, and then it kind of goes out from there. So, you know, I think, you know, once we get our early adopters, we got to get them to be fans of the show and and participate and help us is that
0: what kind of what you're saying chris in in this instance totally and when i talk like in terms of the people that come live it's been ebbing and flowing but there's like somewhere between 20 and 70 people that come Mm -hmm. every week so these numbers are not astronomical right they're not that big um but it allows us the that type of community that people will then tell other people and it fuels the content over the internet and you get a ton of the value from the content over the internet, right? So any individual person in the event, I don't, most of them would never even qualify to be our customer. And that's totally fine because the goal was to produce the content and then put it out on the internet to people that would be because they ask the same types of questions.
4: But you got, you got 20 people who are joining you each week, which is like insane.
0: On a uh, yeah. So like it's a yeah. to hundred total, but then if you look at the consistent, yeah. like attendees 20 to say 70, 50, yeah, say 50,
4: you know, I, I have like three things I do each week and two of them are on this call right now, you know, and so <laughs> great. And then if, if you've got 50 people who are out there who and half of those people then are, are sharing it, liking it and talking about it, like they're, they're out there doing your work. So mm-hmm. that, I think that makes a lot of sense, trying to find those those key, early adopters.
0: A key point is like, if I reverse engineer back, we didn't have anything figured out at the beginning, right? Like even today, we're still revising our messaging based on the things that I say in a different way that communicate. So I think about this as like, it's driving business results and we're creating market research and we're building a community, but I also get to revise our messaging on a, almost a daily basis by doing it. And, and sorry, one more
4: question guys, but talk about that. Like, so the, the first company I start, the last company I started was in, was about 10 years ago. And I guess I've forgotten that you have to just ebb and flow as you're getting going. And, and I'm like getting in this, this, you know, messaging like funk and, and with, with what we're doing. Cause I'm like trying this and then we're trying that. And I'm like, no, 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 I know what it is. We need to know what it is. So talk about like,
0: being good with the ebb and flow. So it's just a it's just a development of trying to f- to figure it out for yourself and then figure out how to communicate it, right? And so if we look at like the progression between what I posted about attribution today versus how I was talking about attribution twelve or eighteen months ago, it was very it was very different because I needed the fifty or hundred questions and the thousand conversations I've had about it and all of the comments to continuously figure out how to better explain it to people. Right. And so before it was like, you know, know, I forget, I don't even know what I was saying back then, but like attribution misses important touch points. And now it's like, Oh, it makes sense because attribution is built to capture people that are in buy mode for direct response. And so it's going to give credit on that side. We need other things about other, other ways to measure the live show, the social comment, the podcast, the uh, the events, PR, whatever those things are, and so i figured out better about like these channels work well with what you have. You need other me- measurement mechanisms on these ones, and so it's just an ongoing process of like working and figuring that out. And don't shy away from it. It's real. I find it really helpful because other companies will sit in a boardroom and try and make shit up as opposed to going out and talking to 100 of their customers every week and then just, and then really figuring it out that way. And I just think that it works a lot better.
3: And I think what you said is a great segue for the other question that uh, that Dotan had with regards to... Uh... Okay, I'll, I'll let Dotan ask the question.
2: <laughs> so I have two big topics, actually, that I want to still have time to, to discuss. Uh, I'll give the title so we have enough time to discuss both. One is about shareable viral... Content, how do we, um, you know, you use the distribution, distribution, distribution channels in the wise way, um, either uh, um, the natural distribution but also paid, and then the other topic is about turning uh, content marketing into a sales funnel. Um, so the first one. You know, we're going to distribute the the micro content and everything we create in all the different channels that we have and platforms. Um, but the real question is what what's the magic of a content piece that makes it more shareable and people that will really feel, you know, that they have to share it with their peers and colleagues. Um, that's one. And then the, the other one is that if we if you have experience of um, doing paid uh, retargeting of those micro-content pieces to specific target? How do you choose that target audience role?
0: Yeah, so the thing that gets content shareable is one of two things. One, people think that it's super funny or entertaining or something like that, so they share it. And that can work. It's not usually the the route that B2B companies go. Um, The way that I look at it, especially in B2B, is it's a way to communicate an idea or something that someone else didn't know how to explain and now knows, and they are struggling with that thing. A K, it it provides a point of view that's valuable to them and what they're trying to accomplish in their professional journey. And so I lean toward that side. We're trying to get more of a blend here at Refine Labs, but generally, like you can win in B2B with pure information. As long as the information is good with a unique point of view that helps people. And so when I think about like I, I don't really think about it as moving it into a sales funnel, I think about it as if if I communicate effectively the things that we believe, then the people that believe those things too and are struggling with the things that we solve will think about us when they want to solve them. And so that's sort of the way that I look at it. I'm just trying to get more and more people to know about the things that they believe right now that are no longer true, that if they stop believing those things, they could do a bunch of other better things in marketing. That's my, my that's my goal. And if they do get to that place, they'll most likely consider Refine Labs because there aren't many companies out there that we might be the only one that really knows how to do this in this way. And so that's my thoughts on shareability. In terms of the channels, you mentioned like putting it out across all of the channels. What you really need to do is you need to find the one or two that are going to be the workhorse that are going to drive that outcome. So I think a lot of people get caught in the idea of like going to Hootsuite, pressing a button and having it go out to all of the things and getting almost no traction or engagement in any place. And so you got to figure, you got to, at the beginning, it's nice to test out a couple, but maybe you have a hypothesis that it's LinkedIn or, or potentially a Facebook group, or it might be different for your buyer, but finding the one channel that's going to really drive it at the beginning, I think is a, is a good recommendation to move on. In terms of shareable, there's a lot of forms of shareability, right? So shareability could be like a, a literal share on LinkedIn, right? That's one. Another one could just be word of mouth. Hey, um, hey, Susie, I was listening to the State of Demand Gen podcast. Really enjoyed it. You should check it out. That's sharing. Um, there's a big one called, I would call dark sharing right now, where somebody takes a link of my posts and put it puts it in a Slack channel or sends it in a direct message or places that you don't see that happens a lot and gets no no tracking and then you have some form of like uh paid distribution so all of those could move into the effect on when it moves into paid um you had mentioned retargeting i would i would there's two ways that you can approach it from this standpoint you can either just create the content and just straight distribute it via paid or if you have an organic channel that works you can create the content distribute it via organic validate that it's one of your hard hitting posts and then run it as ads to people that are not following your page or you or just match your ICP. And so when you get the organic going, you have a lot more flexibility on when to use paid. At the beginning, if you have no followers, I do recommend just using targeted paid and getting it to the people that you want. And then it's almost like a form of organic, right? So you can still collect engagement and relative performance against other pieces of content. Um, I'll pause there.
1: So on that one, Chris, so I get what you're saying, right? And we have, I would say the hypothesis for after school teachers, right, is probably Facebook is strong and Instagram is probably strong. There may be some LinkedIn there. So is the move, and we're going to be creating all this micro content that's going to exist in the ecosystem and you'll be, be able to find the trails back to find us. So is the first move of creating this demand waterfall? sprinkling a little bit of paid across all those channels to see what of the micro content gets the most initial engagement. And then once we're getting more in one channel, then just going harder into that channel and build the group there, right? Like I I think a Facebook group's a no brainer um, just, just to kind of like spin up and get going. But as far as dedication to the channel, is it like sprinkle a little across the top and then start just kind of like plinko boarding down to exactly where you want it?
0: It's it's difficult because the the engagement dynamics between paid channels are not the same. And so it might give you a false positive, or it might just point you in the direction of one channel is better for paid than organic,
1: hmm.
0: right? And so it's there's multiple layers in this. As you were mentioning, Facebook and Instagram, if you move into a Facebook group, I think that Facebook groups... May not be where you just push out all of your content. It might need to be more like a place where people just hang out. So you might need to figure out how to facilitate that in a different way and then add in little pieces of content later if you feel like it's appropriate. But a group may not be the main distribution for the content that you're creating.
1: Yeah. Let, let me, let me clarify that. Right. So like what we've done in the past is create the, all the micro content with a call to action at the end of the micro content of come hang out with us in the Facebook group. And the Facebook group has a different engagement strategy, right? Really just talking about the little clips yeah. and the quote cards and stuff that we're going to make of, of paying that.
0: Totally. And then when you're looking at an organic channel, if, if um, people right now are mentioning like, Instagram as a primary organic channel you should almost certainly move to um move to TikTok. Makes sense. It's just the 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 chances of actually getting traction and growing an audience and and those things are just so 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 much higher um in TikTok than they are in Instagram right now and so for the same amount of effort you might need to change up the content a little bit right there's a platform's different you might, have to, you might have to do things differently, but figuring that one out and putting your effort there is what I would recommend. If you're going after you know, K-12 teachers, yes, there's probably more on Instagram, but they're also on TikTok and more and more are gonna be moving there. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't imagine that we will get to TikTok in this conversation, <laughs> like uh, crazy. Um, what we're doing it, so, people. Um, this may be more for people listening afterwards. But what we're doing on TikTok right now for some companies is um, we're running retargeting, and so just to see how many people in B two B, you know, we're we're selling to finance leaders inside of certain companies. How many of those people that visited the website also use TikTok? That's what I want to know. And so we're doing some like audience data research. Right now, given that the, the targeting is not like, uh, like it would be on LinkedIn. So we're starting to dip our toes in the water that way. So, so TikTok has its own uh, retargeting platform. So we, we need to integrate the TikTok pixel into the website. I, I didn't even know it exists. I, I, I believe so. Honestly, we haven't started yet, but that's what I would assume is what's going on.
1: How are you thinking about as far as like repurposing your content for TikTok, right? Like, are you just kind of taking the same content, putting it in a in a in a tall format, and adding a couple like little thought bubbles to it and fly just we to get started?
0: We, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we're uh, we're continuing to build out our own team in order to figure some of these things out. It's becoming more of a priority um, right now, given just like the growth of that channel. But at the moment, I stay true to like sort of the things that I believe is like. If you only have enough resources to execute one or two channels well, then spreading it out across five may not be the right thing. And so at the moment, we can do probably three to two to three channels maximum well. And so we're on LinkedIn on both personal profiles and company page and podcast. Those are the two that we're really in. And then we're on the fringe of YouTube. And then the next one will be some form of, of TikTok, most likely organic. Chris, thank you for the
4: continued therapy. Do you accept United Healthcare for saying you don't know? You know, like I was like this guy's saying he doesn't know. It seems like he knows everything, but he's also saying he doesn't know, which don't I think? You know, Becca is a good thing for us to be like. Sometimes we're not going to know things on the show. You know, and just be like, we don't know. We're going to figure it out again. This is kind of like I feel like we're supposed to know everything, but we're we're also figuring out, even though the opportunity is right in front of us.
0: Yeah. I can go a couple minutes over if you want to talk there was a sales funnel on the agenda that we didn't really get to so if you want to go a couple minutes we can do that
3: that would be awesome yeah i you know i think the the question that totan asked that, that is very interesting right when you when you take this approach of let's just provide value and try to create the content that the relevant audience would want to consume because it it helps them progress whatever it is their their goal is how do you go from there What do you find is the optimal way to go from there to what you always refer to as the demo page on the website, right? How do I take the people from there to go and sign up for the demo? Or is it totally organic when they get it, they get it. I don't even try to push it and it will happen on its own.
0: Totally. Yeah. So we're in like a complete no push strategy, right? So there's nothing where it's like, you know, come book a consultation or anything driving to those types of pages because we're not going to win them. (laughs) Right. And so, and software companies do the same thing and they do it and they are so obsessed with tracking things. And then they track that it came from that channel and then they never look that none of them either close either. And so it just doesn't, it doesn't match how people buy these types of things with multiple stakeholders, complex buying decisions, technical integrations, maybe ripping out another piece of software. There's Getting other departments or cross-functional on board, IT people just don't make t- people just don't make decisions about this stuff that way, and so it's more about one creating like a very large um, net, so to speak, where you are communicating your narrative, your message, the things that are not working about the old way of doing things with tons of detail because you know your customer very well, and then the alternative of things that they could be doing differently is the top. And then all you need is a clear, differentiated product and a unique value proposition message on your website. So when somebody gets there, they know all about the things that you believe in already. They're like... They get to the website. They're like, Oh, this is for me. And then they convert. And that's the way that I think about a website. Most people don't think about it that way. But I would rather do my education in places where people already are because it's way more effective in lieu of all of the tracking. And then let them come to the website and convert. And then I'm just tracking the growth of those types of channels. We're getting even deeper into this. So organic organic traffic growth, direct traffic growth are things that we're looking at. We're looking at um, also demo page views that are non-paid traffic. And so like starting to build up before the conversion. And we're seeing positive trends in all of those metrics after implementing the strategy in a three or six month period of time. And so those are like, those are people that are sort of like self-selecting. You're creating the demand somewhere else. And then people are, and then your capture demand strategy is robust enough to get those channels to continue to grow. It's interesting well, we... when you
1: talk about it. Uh, you, you kind of have this like approach of, you know, the wide net of organic and paid distribution that's non like pushy. But then you, while people are usually like attribution in, you're kind of like demo out, right? Like you're, you, you look for historical data of how many demos did we get from the website and then reverse engineer, you know, what all that means as far as like sales velocity and, and, and conversion rate. Right. If I, if I'm understanding it,
0: I just, I've been in more than 50 Salesforce instances in the past 24 months. I look at where all of the revenue came from that was sourced by marketing. I work backwards to the path of conversion that started the opportunity. The path of conversion that starts the opportunity is organic or direct traffic that funnels onto the website, not a long tail SEO blog, and then they click a demo page, they view the page and they convert. That's the path that generates 60 to 80% of revenue for, for most companies from marketing sourced. And so that's the path. Now what can we do in other channels? without direct correlate, without direct attribution between the the things to have more people go through that flow. And the way that you do that is by educating people in places where they are so that they go and make that search or they type in your website onto their browser and they come through and do that. And so that's the the framework. A lot of people can't do it because they don't have that connection and they're either executives don't believe in it or they don't know how to put those pieces together. I get it. Like... been a marketer before and not had been able to put those pieces together, I've been looking at this stuff <laughs> intently for a very long time. So for whatever reason, they don't see the connection. But that's the, that's the connection. And so it's marketing to either through content or to drive word of mouth that moves people through that conversion path. So do you n-
2: never create content that it's about, is about your services? Or you do sometimes decide you, you know bring uh, an actual customer and interview them about you know how they interact with your services and stuff that is a little bit more
0: salesy than yeah. just general content. yeah, we we typically don't do that, right? Like I have data on a spread a spreadsheet right here that shows that our average customer sees qualified pipeline increase by fifty six percent on average um, over the first six months of working with us. But, and the, the highest one was 900% with a pretty decent baseline. And so I'm not, I don't, I don't run a lot of the like promotional type stuff. It's purely on like, does it intersect with the things that our company does for sure? Like we go in and clean up all the messes that company that other companies create on paid to drive wrong, the wrong metrics. And I just see all the data and then I can easily communicate the symptoms and the signs and the reasons why it happens. And so once people see that, they go back into their data and they look at it. Oh, he was right. Our, our like content syndication leads do close at 0.1%. This is where people are falling off. This is how much our CAC is like what he said was right. And I'm like, I know because I've looked at, I've looked at 50 companies that are all doing this stuff. I, when the data is consistent, the data is consistent. And so um, that it's, I think it's more about weaving it in in a way that that helps illuminate problems that people didn't know that they had, and being able to articulate the reason why that problem is happening
1: yeah. hey chris, given given that they're a a pretty nascent company without a ton of data coming in and to set up the infrastructure, right? to set up their sales force, is there? Like is is your magic and like I know you're an engineer and you're like a mad scientist, right? Is your magic enabled to like reverse engineering this stuff? Or is there something that we can do on the front end to set up their Martech stack in order to from the beginning start tracking this stuff cleanly?
0: Yeah. So um my post on LinkedIn today would probably be a good place to reference. I listed out four different different ways to measure this. If you have Salesforce, you should probably get. Um, you should probably get HubSpot or Marketo I recommend Marketo or sorry, I'd recommend HubSpot. It's just easier to set up for your stage. Um, that's going to give you first touch attribution across and then the conversion point for where they converted. So you're going to have most likely the captured demand attribution, which is most likely going to show up in organic search, direct traffic, or if you're running paid search, those are the three majors or occasionally you'll get some referral as well, potentially depending on where you are. And then what I'm recommending, what we have on our website is we have a, how did you hear about us in the form? The, how did you hear about us in the, on the form? Gives us way different data than what HubSpot reports or what multi-touch attribution software reports. It's really valuable for us. It just basically proves that the way that these tools are measuring things are not capturing the impactful touch points that are driving people to buy stuff. So there's that one. There's uh, win analysis. So when you win customers, calling the the person that was the primary decider and talking to them about how they discovered you, what things they were doing, what other tools they evaluated, why did they choose you? Just a a comprehensive win analysis. And the last one, you might be too early for this one, but starting to get to a place where you're doing some form of large scale market research every three to six months. And so that would be surveying your customers branded and sorry, aided and unaided recall, aided and unaided understanding of products or concepts Um, comparison against um, competitors, what is their preferred brand, what brand do they currently use, demographics of the people that are responding that are important to you to segment out, like doing some form of that and tracking it over time is really important. One of the questions that we've used on that for a a long time is um, like, where did you hear about this brand or things like that? And that data is really interesting when when you go back and show it to executives because what people are, telling you about where they heard about the brand versus what you're seeing and attribution on conversions is completely different. Um, So those are like, those are four ways to, to measure you probably, for the beginning, you probably only need the first two. All righty. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but we definitely got through that. That was cool. Um, I'm going to uh, need to jump on a call. We got a couple new employees starting, so I'm going to welcome them to the team. But it was, uh, it was awesome catching up with you. I hope it was helpful. Um, we'll be providing, putting this out on the podcast probably relatively shortly. So if you want to really listen, you can grab it there. Or if you want a recording, I can uh, get that over to you as well.
1: I'll hit yes. you up for a recording, man. This was phenomenal.
0: Thank you. Awesome. This Super happy great. to Thanks, help. Thanks, Chris. Good to meet you all. Talk to you later. Appreciate it. Thank you, you so Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you. And see you for the next episode.